Sleepers Podcast. It's G, a.k.a. Greg Waddell. With me, as always, Cartino Mobley, Carter Elliott. What's up, Cart? Got a little uh, mixy here of tequila and tears from Michigan State's last game. And, wow, it just tastes so good. It's so hard for me right now to not go in depth about the tears that you're sipping on. But we have a great conversation where we just went in depth for over an hour with maybe the centerpiece of Michigan State basketball Twitter these days, DK from SpartanHoops.com, the founder of SpartanHoops.com, your go-to place for Spartan basketball. God knows there's been quite a bit to talk about with the Michigan State basketball program these days. Right, yeah, and and it's it's definitely nice to have somebody uh, on with us, so I don't have to deal with you by myself in these times after Michigan State losses. But uh, in all seriousness, it was a great conversation with DK. He knows his stuff about Spartan basketball and basketball in general. But uh, it's definitely a must listen for Spartan basketball fans out there and fans of college basketball in general. Uh, we get in depth on the roster management of Michigan state, the past games, the mismanagement, out- sorry, no, sorry, mismanagement. And you know, the outlook of the big 10 moving forward and where we go from here. So uh, really excited. Uh, it was great having them on. So really excited for y'all to hear him as well. Check it out without further ado, the sleepers with DK. All right, we are back. It's the Sleepers Podcast. We've got a great guest with us today, the one and only DK, a.k.a. David Klein from SpartanHoops.com. If you are a Michigan State basketball fan, you should check his site out because it's pretty much the premier Michigan State basketball coverage place on the internet. DK, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I appreciate that plug. Premier, I like the sound of that. Hey, I, uh, I've got my my round of adjectives, and when someone's deserving of Premier, we'll go all the way to the top for Premier. All right. You're quite deserving of it. Um, so I think Carter and I, the last couple episodes, we've, we've certainly spoke to both Michigan and Michigan State and where we're at, but in light of the latest developments with the Spartans, I think it's time to have a little come to Jesus conversation. And that's why we brought in the best of the best to go full on deep dive on what is wrong with Michigan State. Can they turn it around? Um, And we've got a lot of thoughts and a lot of questions and a lot of things we want to cover today. But I think it makes sense probably to start with what we just saw over the weekend on Friday night with the Purdue game. Um, So I'll just set the table on it. I'm sure anybody listening to this watched the game. 31 to 16 halftime lead. I think from my perspective, Michigan State came out and executed what they needed to in the first half. They're going to have to grind out a lot of low scoring defensive games if they want to win this year. Holding Purdue to 16 and a half is an immensely impressive performance to me. Something switched in the second half. Travion Williams comes out, drops 24 and a half. A um, lot of substitution questions. The whole late game sequence was a disaster. But I guess I'll throw it to you first, DK. What happened? And what should we make of that as Michigan State fans in that game? Um, I think I think to start, everything that could possibly go wrong in that late game type scenario went wrong for Michigan State, right? I mean, they couldn't get the ball inbounded. Um, you turn it over in that circumstance where basically if you get the ball in, you get fouled and you split the pair, that's probably the game. So the fact that they didn't get the ball in, you know, that's – that's a little bit difficult there. 
And then, you know, we saw Trevion Williams continue to eat down the stretch, particularly the last like two, three minutes of the game. And Hauser, you know, was asked to basically play single coverage on him. I know Malik Hall kind of slipped on him eventually, and that's when they called the timeout there. But I think that the decision to continue to allow Hauser to get beat up in the paint was kind of uh, just all around an interesting one. I, I like I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to say we want to lean on our offense. But like you said, kind of bringing in the intro, this is a team that probably is going to have to earn their keep on the defensive end. And the fact that they allowed, you know, Williams to continue to dominate when everyone saw it wasn't working with Hauser on him was just a little frustrating. I thought at the very least they probably should have brought in Bingham for that last second shot. Even if he would have got caught there over the top, I think he would have given them a little better look at possibly blocking that shot or altering that shot. And so it's a little frustrating. I think it's a combination of, you know, the team imploding and the staff kind of compounding some of the mistakes by not putting the right personnel down the stretch. You know, when you saw Zach Eady get subbed in on that free throw line, Malik Hall is six, seven, he's seven, four, like the, you have to make that substitution. If you don't trust Bingham because you know, Bingham's not the fiercest rebounder, Put in Matty Sissoko. I guarantee that guy was going to put a body on him and get a rebound. And then maybe he's going to the free throw line. You have some other issues there. But at the very least, I think securing that rebound, if it, if it goes off the rim, was priority number one. Um, so I think just it was a combination of the staff kind of stubbornly sticking with the Howes and Williams situation. And the second part of it was just basically everything that could go wrong went wrong in that last 20 seconds. Yeah. Uh, first, I want to start by saying, DK, thank you for being here with me and not leaving me to deal with Greg <laughs> by myself for this um, for this episode. I think this is probably like our somewhere around sixth episode and four of them or three of them have been after Michigan State losses. So I'm usually, you know, on my own over here, but we'll get uh, through it together. It'll be cathartic. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, just to go off what you said, uh, when you're a player, you expect you should expect your coaches to put you in the best position to win the game and to make the right play. Basically it always comes down to the players making the play on the court, you know, getting the ball in, doing things like that. But we, we were somewhat behind the eight ball. I feel like because the coaching staff didn't put us in the best position for that la- kind of that last minute of the game or last 30 seconds of the game and everything that could go wrong really went wrong. And Greg was saying, during the game, we were texting each other. And he's like, they're about to somehow blow this. And even when I they felt su- it too. Did when you feel that? In- I, I, I knew it was going to happen before it happened. It was, yeah. And then they, and then all those free throws, they sub in, who was it? Greg Hall. And who was the other guys? So about? I, I marked this down. There were three separate specific opportunities that Tom Izzo and the staff had to either sub in Bingham and or Sissoko for defense and or rebounding down the stretch. Like the last and, minute of the game. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, la- the late game sequence was they're up four with 11 seconds left. There's that horrible foul call, which to me, I mean, they got horribly unlucky with the fact. You're saying the Rocket Watts one? Yeah. Where, where I went back and watched throws. it in two different views. I, I'm i just kind of split on it. I think it was a 50-50 call in the way that they were calling that game. I'm, I guess I'm not surprised. He was pretty straight up on him, but he kind of bumped him with his body before he ended up putting it up. So – I. To me, that one was was 50-50, but the way they're calling, you can't even give them the ability to do that. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're more more objective on it than I am. I thought that was awful, and that's what triggered my, <laughs> oh, my God, this is going to happen moment. So Purdue hits two. 
it, it's a two-point game. The inbound goes wrong. Okay, that's a mistake. Here's opportunity number one. Purdue has the ball down two coming out of that turnover off the review. You can sub there for defense. He doesn't sub. He leaves Hall and Hauser in knowing it's a two-point game and Purdue's going to play through Travion Williams. Mistake right there. Travion, okay, he gets the ball. He gets fouled. He goes to the line. He's a 46% free throw shooter, right? I mean, he's a sub. He shot so well, too, from the game. Yeah, he really it's, did. it's absurd. But at the end of the day, he's a less than 50% free throw shooter. He goes to the line. He hits the first. Izzo takes a timeout. Again, you can sub here. A, a 50% shooter is possibly going to miss a free throw. Zach Eady is subbed in. He's 7-4, like you said. Why do we not have our best rebounders on the floor? And then, again, okay, you missed the shot. Purdue gets the rebound. Purdue takes the timeout. You now have your third and last chance. You know the ball's going back to Travion Williams, and you've got Hauser and Hall on the floor. I mean, to me, that's just inexcusable. And, you know, Izzo has a history of being stubborn, but not really stubborn with going small in the front court of all things. Like, that's something I never expected Tom Izzo to lose a game because of. I think some of it has to do with the trust, right? So we came into the season – you know, there's discussion, who's the bigger loss, Cassius Winston or Xavier Tillman? And, and when I was thinking in the offseason, I was like, you know what? There's enough guys on this rotation in this roster. Marble showed some flashes last year. Bingham, like, is he going to finally turn the corner and be that paint protector and kind of, you know, we saw it early in the season where I was like, there's some good signs here where he's blocking shots and he's finishing dunks. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it's against EEMU and some of the lesser schools, but maybe he's turned the corner this year. And I think that just what we've seen, you know, particularly with the center rotation is that he just doesn't have a lot of trust in the guys that probably long-term are who you have to play to have more upside this season. Like Sissoko and Bingham are giving you the highest ceilings, particularly defensively, right? Like you need a paint protector. The perimeter defense has gotten much better the last two games. If we're going to take, you know, some good things away from this game, but it becomes so much better when you have those guys in the middle of the paint. Um, and I think what you see is Marble's probably your best offensive option, but maybe he's not quite there defensively either. And so the staff doesn't really trust any of the guys that they have. And as such, we saw what we did, which was Hall and Hauser remain in. And I've, I've actually advocated hard on this very podcast over the last few weeks to play a small ball lineup with Hall and Hauser. I think if, if that's going to be a staple of the rotation going forward, I truly believe that's a good thing for Michigan State. But situationally, that made no sense to me down the stretch. So, and I've been advocating for it too. I've been advocating since the beginning of the season that the Hauser Hall lineup in spots is going to be efficient, that it's going to be some of the better uh, decision personnel-wise for Michigan State, particularly offensively. But uh, like you said, the situation, and just look at the way that the conference is set up. You know, Trevion Williams had a great game. I would probably rate him somewhere around maybe six to eight in as far as like top big men in, in the conference. So you just played a middle of the road and that's not trying to downplay how well he played, you know, but if you look at, you know, Garza, TJD, Dickinson, uh, you have Coburn, both Potters and Reavers over at Wisconsin, like this league is loaded with really, really good big men. You just played someone who's probably middle of the tier and he dropped 26 on you. Like Leanne Robbins dropped what on us? It was, <laughs> I think, 26 and 11. Yeah. You know, like some of the guys who are probably middle of the pack are destroying us. And 
if we were in a different league, we're in the ACC, we're in the SEC, the Pac-12, you know, even the Big East, we could get away with playing the small ball lineup and probably be okay in this conference in this year. Um, it's basically, it's set uh, a little bit of a floor for us, right? Like the floor is going to be lower because they don't have the ability to play a two-way center. They don't have somebody they can lean on for a bucket and they don't have somebody that they can play 25 minutes and eat up paint protection. So I think that just maybe we have to recalibrate the expectations for this conference this season because there's really not a clear option at the center spot in a league that is just absolutely dominated by them. Right. Yeah. And I and I really thought that coming into this year, I thought a lot of the front court guys would make maybe a bigger jump than they have up until this point. I mean, if you look at past big men that have played for Izzo um, that stay three to four years, they always make a jump at some point, you know, like guys like Costello, you know, guys like that, they eventually make a jump throughout their career. And, you know, yet Bingham, a junior now, been in the program for a while. And I, you know, he showed signs against those bad teams, like you said, but I thought he would make more of a jump. And the, I, the thing is they have to be able to make adjustments. Like, I get playing small ball. I get the Hauser Malik thing. We've been asking for that. A lot of people have been asking for that. But the fact of the matter is if we have to watch Hauser against Trayvon Williams and literally possession by possession, just getting eight up one-on-one, you just, at some point we needed to see some adjustments either with the personnel on the court or putting the correct personnel on the court, but to let one guy basically beat you in a second half, that's just something you really don't, you you don't want to see. Yeah. I just, I was kind of baffled by it. And Izzo's post-game comments that he wanted to protect the three-point line were like almost equally as baffling. I have to look at the stats, but I want to say, what did they make three threes that game or something like that? They were three for 24 on the night. Like everyone knew where the ball was going. It was clearly going to Williams in this last, you know, the last whole minute. And they just continued to like, say, this is, we're going to work this out. It's going to be okay. And it wasn't, I don't, I don't know. That was, that was just baffling. I think and, it was and, really baffling. And even if you come with the whole, um, I know some coaches come with the approach, uh, we'll let one guy, we'll let one guy go off, but we'll shut everyone else down. It's a little different with Travion Williams because I think he's the best passer on that team too. So by taking him away, you're basically shutting down their offense to a certain point and you'd really have to make some other guy beat you. So to just let him just basically dominate a whole half and not make adjustments was really frustrating to watch, uh, both personnel-wise and, you know, the actual on-court game plan. What did you think about the rest of the rotation then? And I'm generally curious about your guys' thoughts. Uh, where would you go to and say, this guy played too few minutes, this guy played too many minutes? What, it, what are you thinking about that? So this is my one of my next huge bullets to get with you and get your input on. But yeah. The, the first thing from the box score to me is that Gabe Brown playing six minutes is inexcusable. Unacceptable. I, mean, I We've said this on the show. I don't know that there's a lot on the floor right now that Gabe does worse than Josh Langford and Rocket Watts. And I think they're very redundant. I've said that all year. Like Michigan State's issues this season to me are a roster construction problem. And they're Agreed. not fixable. It's it's not necessarily something we can blame Izzo for on the fly this year, but we can blame the staff for putting together a roster that has huge holes at two of the most important positions. And I think four to five of the six best players on this team are guys that you can only play three of at once if you want to play a true center and a true point guard. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gabe's been so efficient. Yes, he's pretty much just a catch and shoot player, but 
I think a catch and shoot player that's shooting 40% from three and 50% from the floor is a huge asset for this Michigan state team right now. So I, I was baffled by Gabe who, I mean, he put up a trillion in six minutes, which that that's just inexcusable that we're not getting more out of a player that's been that efficient this year. Um, other than that, I have my own issues with the, the Hogard unveiling that I'm, I want to save that for later in the podcast to talk okay. about, but um, I think the shooting guard position is a good one to kind of address because what we have basically heard from the staff is Watts wants to be off ball more, off ball more. Um, that really hasn't happened that much. You know, we basically said he's going to be off ball more and we've seen it in spots where he's coming out with lawyer and sometimes he is off the ball. I actually thought he played a reasonably efficient game. You know, he's three for six last game. Um, you know, he took a couple bad shots that one, he turned the corner on, I think Williams stepped up on him and he took like an off floater. He kind of was looking for the contact there. I thought he could have taken one more dribble and reverse that for a layup. So that was one shot that I didn't really particularly like. Um, but for the most part, you're looking at the roster kind of up and down. There's really not too many guys who can create their own shot on this roster. Like you gotta probably start getting him going and putting him with people that it makes sense. Like. I think it makes more sense to pair him with Hogard. Yes, you have less shooting on it, but then you have multiple people who are capable of attacking the rim um, and, and creating a little bit more pressure. And then it kind of goes to your point too, where once you have guys who are able to break down players individually off the dribble and get into the paint, you need to be spreading them around with some shooters. Um, and Gabe has really been an enigma for me this season. You know, he's had some games where he looks so unbelievably like he's taking that step forward. I watched the six minutes that he played. I, I go back every game and I do a rewatch of it. And I really wanted to focus on his minutes because I'm just like, what, what happened? How didn't he play more? And he has a tendency sometimes um, to just kind of float on offense where he's not really a guy that's very comfortable catching and putting the ball on the deck. Um, and I didn't think the staff did a very good job of, of finding ways to get him the ball but he's a guy that hasn't really gotten to the point where he looks super comfortable coming off, you know, like multiple screens, like a Matt McQuaid, right? Yeah. You always knew McQuaid could come flying off screens, catching in rhythm, kind of step into that three Brown is much better kind of just quietly floating to a corner and then attacking from there. Right. If it's a hard closeout, he's capable of putting two dribbles and going hard to the rim. Um, if not, then he can hit that three. And so I think that he needs to continue to advance his game a little bit. And the staff also probably needs to start working on getting him more involved. You know, we're seeing them write up all these, you know, little curl screens where Josh is coming off the mid ranger. How are you not doing that for Gabe Brown, but like for the three point line, running off him off elevator screens or curl screens or running some actions for him. Like he's your best shooter. You need to probably draw up. You know, every time he's in one, every three possession should be a look where he gets something like, hard coming off a screen or we run something for him where he's getting an opportunity to possibly put up a three. Yeah. And even, and even him being on the floor, it's just a totally different kind of look to the offense. Cause you can't help off Gabe Brown. Cause I mean, he's proved this year that if he's open, you know, he's knocking that down at a highly efficient clip, especially on those corner threes. But like you said, he can float a little bit. Cause he'll just kind of stand in the corner and just kind of, just float around, never really gets a ball screen, down screen, anything like that. Might be a situation where he's not comfortable doing that, like you said. But, you know, I got we got to at least see it, maybe give it a try. It's just 
sometimes it's really frustrating that we do things for Langford, like you said, that we don't do for Gabe. And I think that we can do it for Gabe. And then that's just on the offensive end. Then you have the defensive end where I think Langford has been getting every game I watch. I feel like he gets blown past a lot. Um, I will say that I think that that probably was his best defensive game on Mm -hmm. Stefanovic. He was guarding him almost the entire game. He only had uh, three points. He was one for eight. Um, And the three pointer that he hit was on a rocket Watts slip where he was like at the top of the key and he hit that three. So I do think that in the right scenario, he has been okay. I think he's a better team defender than he probably is an individual defender. Um, I cut some of the film um, following like the Wisconsin Minnesota game where he's kind of getting blown by a little bit. Um, I think the staff's insistence to play him almost 30 minutes a night is a little bit baffling. Um, I'm happy to see him. I really am. It's, it's a great, you know, comeback story. Nobody that's a Michigan state fan is more happy than to see him playing and, and playing the game that he loves. And hopefully one day, maybe going to Europe or, or doing whatever over there. Um, but you can't lean on him for 30 minutes a night. I think that he really needs to be kind of your spot shooter guy, uh, an instant offense guy, you know, letting him take the most shots last night. I, I think I should say two nights ago. Um, give me one minute. I'm just looking it up real quick. I want to say he took 11. Yeah, I've got it up. He was four for 11. Yeah. Four for 11. And Aaron Henry only took eight shots. Who's probably, you know, your clear cut best answer on offense. Um, I just think, I think that's probably too many for him and he's playing probably too many minutes. And I don't know what the balance is now, because if you're saying that you want to get Watts off the ball and he's got to play the two, well, he's sharing the minutes then with Brown and Langford. So you kind of run in a conundrum where Watts probably needs to be playing more backup point guard minutes, which we've seen that a little bit anyways. Um, And I kind of liked what they did with him when they brought him in in the first half and they basically gave him the keys of the castle. And it was a situation where they said, don't worry about running the team. You're here on the second unit. Just go to work and go to the bucket. Um, And I I think that that's how they have to use him. Just bring him off the bench. I don't mind him being off the bench. I would like to see him play, like I said, against uh, alongside Hogard. But I don't mind kind of the role that they're starting to form for him as kind of an instant offense guy coming from the bench. So I, I want to have the, the Watts conversation right now. Great. So that I'm going to tread lightly here. Here I've, we go. I've stopped referring to this man as Rocket Watts. He is Mark Watts for an indefinite period of time for me right now. Until we can see the guy at the end of last year that we saw, I will give him that nickname again. But for the time being, I mean, he's been miserable as far as efficiency goes offensively this year. I understand the move to bring him to the bench, but I think all three of us and any Michigan State fans anywhere would agree the highest ceiling version of this team come March is one that has a heavy usage rocket watts. Um, So I'm not convinced that it's the best thing for this team. Maybe in the moment it is to move him, but like you said, when you move him to the bench, the guys that suffer from that are guys that are shooting really efficient, like Gabe Brown, because if he's playing only the two, that cuts into Gabe's minutes because again, you've got four guys that can only play the two or the three on this team. Um, Also just some quick numbers. So rocket. Yes. He's been shooting horribly, but prior to his move to the shooting guard position, he was averaging 4.3 assists per game. That was a part of his game. I honestly didn't expect. I said preseason when he was expected to be this breakout point guard, 
it reminded me of if Michigan was just going to put Jordan Poole at point guard. Like he's an incredibly talented offensive player who, yes, he can pass the ball a little bit, but he's out there to get buckets for himself. He takes some questionable shots, but when he's hitting on all cylinders, it works really well. So I, I don't know. I give Watts credit for honestly getting other guys shots like that early in the season. And in the Duke game, he was successful. He was, you know, showing that he can be that guy in the centerpiece of a team. What confuses me now is the Hogard breakout. He's averaging three points and five assists per game. I totally agree that Hogard is the, the only true point guard on this roster. Hogard deserves rotational minutes, but he's such a non-factor for scoring for himself that if we're really looking at what Watts did at point guard, where he was averaging 4.3 assists per game prior to this move and Hogard's getting you five assists per game in his new role, is that really worth the minuses that Hogard gives you both defensively and then scoring for himself at this point? Interesting question. I will say this. I think that Hogard right now behind Henry is probably your second best perimeter defender. I think that's really been an underrated part of his game. Every time I go back to watch the film, he's very good at keeping his man in front of him. If he does get beat by, he's capable of erasing a mistake with a block, which he did a couple times. Uh, I want to say it was um, the Rutgers game. I believe he had a block from behind. I need to hit DK's film room and anybody listening to this needs to hit DK's film room because my perception of Hogarth has been, he's not been a good perimeter defender at all. Yeah, I would disagree with that, actually. Right. Yeah, I think that he's been better than Watts this year, unfortunately. That that side of the ball for Watts, to me, has been baffling because last year I thought to myself, he wasn't touted as a guy that came in. You know, he's more of a bucket getter. I thought he really, really locked down last year, played strong on that side of the ball. I don't know if there's still, you know, a little bit of a nagging knee injury. He started the season with one. He's looked a little bit of a half-step slow to me. But he's been getting blown by at the point of attack. I think that's been one of the larger problems with this team. I don't think it's a coincidence since you've seen Hogard starting that the defense all around has looked better, to be honest with you. And I think that a large part of that is from Hogard on that side of the ball. I understand what you're saying in terms of, um, you know, are we really getting that much more out of Hogard than we are of Watts? I think that the offense has settled in a little bit. I would personally like to see Izzo start giving the keys to the Ferrari a little bit more to Hogard. You know, we've seen what he's capable of doing in some ball screen actions. I really think that he more projects to be like a Cassius Winston type in that regard, where you just set that guy three or four ball screens, you let him kind of maneuver from it and you set like off actions on it where guys are rising, guys are diving and, and just put the ball in his hands more. I think what we've seen, moving Henry off the ball is more of some of his efficiency. When I went back and watched, they did a pretty nice job of getting Henry in um, like down screens where curl screens, kind of what they did last year where he's already inside the arc and his momentum is carrying him towards the basket. Um, we've seen him develop, uh, you know, kind of an off the dribble mid range game, which really I think bodes well for him getting, you know, drafted probably at the end of the first beginning of the second this year, I think, the last three games in particular, he's really been um, playing like a pro on both sides of the floor. And, you know, I, I think that there has to be some kind of conclusion on what this offense is going to be. And I don't think we've seen it. I think that's the worst part, right? So you want to put the ball in Watts' hands when he's coming off the bench. I think that that's pretty clear for the second unit. What are you doing with the starting unit that makes the most sense? And to me, that's probably playing – 
you know, a little two-man action with Hauser and, and Henry. We saw that a little bit uh, last game, and I'm going to break some of that down from, um, from the loss. I, I just think overall – you got to give a little bit more of the offense to Hogard. You got to start playing a little bit more between the Henry Hauser two man game for the starting lineup. You just have to figure out better opportunities for the starting rotation because the half court offense is just so stagnant right now. It's terribly stagnant. Car, where do you stand on the Hogard thing? I know we've gone back and forth on this together. I've gone back and forth on it. Um, and this is not me kind of I haven't been on the whole there's been a couple of people who have taken kind of the whole guard playing point thing just a, like a bit too far I think I mean I I wouldn't say it's been like a breakout like coming on to the scene for Hogard. I think he's doing kind of what I expected him to do coming in but me personally I would like more kind of a point Henry role and uh, taking the ball out of Hogard's hands or tweaking something with the lineup maybe with the starting lineup where we tailor it to get more kind of a point Henry type thing. So Henry in the pick and roll with Hauser um, and then, you know, shooters kind of around him. Cause I really trust Henry, you know, coming off those ball screens and coming off screens to make the right play, whether that's going to the basket and kicking out the shooters or, you know, dropping it off to someone for a layup or going to score. Um, I just feel most comfortable with Henry with the ball at this point, especially with how he's been playing the last, kind of three games so I don't really know how that aligns with you know a guy like Hogard getting more minutes at the point guard so it's kind of a conflicting thing for me but I'd still lean towards I want the, I want the ball to be in my best player's hands and that's Aaron Henry I don't necessarily disagree that you want the ball in his hands but I think you want to put him in the best spots for it he's leading the team right now in turnovers he has 35 so 44 assists to 35 turnovers the next highest assist guy is Rocket Watts with 41 assists to 17 turnovers. So I think that what you see is, yes, Henry um, definitely can play make for teams, but I think allowing him to focus on scoring and defending has kind of opened it up a little bit for this team. So I don't mind him playmaking, particularly when he's going towards the rim, but I like them you know, kind of running him through the elbow again, like setting down screens for him and having him come off curl screens. I'm not sure if I'm crazy, like top of the key with him, the hands in his ball, and he's going through progressions with the screens. Because I think we've seen in games where, um, particularly the Wisconsin one, where I think he had six or seven turnovers, where it was almost too much for him. Mm -hmm. So I think that Hogard has taken some of that pressure off him to be able to just focus on, I need to play good defense. When I get the ball, I need to score it. And I think that that's kind of settled some of his mindset. And we've seen some of the rest of the rotation kind of settle in because of Hogard's play. I understand that there hasn't been sexy numbers from him. And he's not, you know, scoring the ball like crazy. He's probably not one of your better shooters on the floor. And you run into situations with that. But like you said, from the very top of this, this roster has personnel flaws that are not going to be overcome. For me, you probably need to lean on the defensive end. You need to start playing your better defensive rotations and, and use your defense to be able to get out into transition. I think, you know, Purdue did a really, really good job of preventing us from doing that. And part of the reason why we struggled so bad in the half court is because we just couldn't get some easy buckets going. They, they pushed the tempo a little bit and a few of the times they took some ill-advised shots in transition. And I don't think the transition game got going at all against Purdue. And that's why it was as ugly as it, as it was. So DK, I got to ask, what is your ideal lineup for state? So what, what is like the, I wouldn't even say starting, but let's say the last let's say rotation. 
You said rotation. what? Let's let's do rotation. Yeah, rotation. Your ideal rotation? rotation. Oh my gosh. Well, because he's he's playing what twelve guys right now, and I think every. I mean, it's way too many. That's every, even I mean, Izzo knows that. He knows he needs to trim that. He said that publicly. So, so I think yeah. like so trim it, Tom. Yeah. So come, yeah. come March, the time, is, be the time is now. I don't know what you're waiting for. You got to trim that shit. What's if, uh, if DK's coach for the day? What would what would the trimmed rotation be? Well, D, well, we'd have a point guard if DK was the coach. Probably he probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, this is a tough this is a tough call because I don't know if there's a clear answer, and that's probably part of the reason why we're seeing this stretch that we've seen. Um, for me, I think you kind of look at it in certain different ways. Obviously the whole Hauser works against some of it, but it doesn't work for most of what you're going to see with the league. Um, I think that probably right now, what I would like to see is Hogard Brown, Henry Hall. And I probably would go Sissoko. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Maddie guy from the get go. I did an interview with him and I, you know, I have a, somewhat personal feelings invested in him just because his story is so incredible. And I think that, you know, generally I'm pretty on board for rooting for the kid, but I think in terms of physical gifts and what he can give you on the defensive rebounding side and just blocking shots, I understand that there's going to be some matchups that are not going to be particularly great for him. Like I, I don't know if Garza against Sissoko is a great matchup for him. He's still learning how to play, you know, more skilled type big men. Um, but I think that I would lean towards that or at the very least, if you're going to replace that center spot, um, maybe you give Bingham a crack at it just early on for that. But I really think that you probably need to lean on the defensive side. You want to put as much athleticism and length. And we saw it at the end of, I want to say it was the end of the first half in the Rutgers game. And that was the lineup. It was Hogard, it was Hogard, Brown, Henry, Hall, and Sissoko. And you look at the way that the paint is packed with all the length and the height and athleticism, and maybe there's not as much, um, you know, offensive ability on the floor with that. But I think that what they give you defensively just makes a lot of sense. And then I probably would tap Watts in as the first guy off the bench. Um, The fact that, you know, Brown is coming in over him um, is kind of a byproduct of, again, the staff's love for Langford, which, you know, I think is, you know, he, he's a necessary part on this team. But if we're kind of looking at the way that this year is going to shake out and you have to have some vision for the future, you have to start playing Gabe Brown more minutes. He's got to play 15 to 20 a night because it doesn't just matter for this year. But when Langford's gone next year, which I assume is going to happen, I, don't, I would be surprised if he stuck around for. We can know, only hope. Um, but if you're looking towards the future, you got to be thinking about, okay, not just for this season, but for next, how do I get guys going like Watts? How do I get guys going like Brown? And it's weird to be thinking about coaching for next year, you know, in the middle of the conference play and such as Brad, but this is a, a very possible, you know, bubble-ish type team. And yes, you want to be winning, but you also need to be laying the foundation to building upon this next year. I think the worst crime that can happen is to miss the tournament this year and miss it playing guys that are not going to be involved or shouldn't be involved in the rotation heavily next year. And that's my biggest concern I have with the way that the staff has been playing. So I kind of danced around the question a little bit, um, but that's kind of the five route. I'd start defensively with as much length as possible, um, try to get out and transition. And then you want to bring probably you know, your best scoring option off it. I would probably do a Watts for Brown trade kind of in that you keep the Hogar Brown 
uh, Henry combination together. And then, you know, in certain lineups, you try to figure out a way to get Hauser going as well. Like he's a valuable weapon, but he's really struggled outside the Wisconsin game. I mean, he's been pretty brutal on the offensive end. You're playing him almost 25 minutes per game and he's not giving you much on defense and he hasn't given you much on offense lately. Like I, I think that Hall has got to play close to 30 minutes a game. If there's one person that for me needs to start playing more minutes and start getting more touches offensively, I think Hall has got to be that guy. Today's episode of the Sleepers Podcast is presented by the Locker Room App. Carter, you're a Locker Room App user. I am a happy Locker Room App user at that. Have you ever been listening to, you know, our podcast and you want to say, you know what, Carter, that was stupid. Yeah, I need to call you out on that. Or have you been listening to Greg and you say, you know what, Greg, that's really stupid. I want to call that out. Well, the Locker Room App is for you. It's a free app available in the App Store right now. It's connecting people and sports fans and fans of anything in general uh there's rooms on there that you can join with nba personalities people across sports it's a great app to connect with those people and also just connect with you know people in general who are fans of what you're watching or what you're into at the time and that's not limited to sports i have to shout out my newfound kind of passion love for the bachelor and the bachelor room is one of my favorites on the locker room and i'll be sure to be tuned into all those rooms coming up and you don't want to miss it we got the matt james t we got it all are you pro matt james or anti matt james i'm hashtag wait and see on matt james i'm gonna give it like three episodes before i make my judgment it's always I, i am mad that no one asked what matt james 40 time is during that episode that was a letdown that's true. So if you want more of the sleepers, you can find the sleepers on the locker room app every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern. We will be doing a 60 minute room talking mostly basketball, but oftentimes other things like Carter's bat games takes. So this week it's Tuesday at five. Michigan, Wisconsin plays Tuesday night right after that room. So hop in. I imagine we'll be talking about the Wolverines. You can get the locker room app on the app store as carter mentioned for free we would love to see you there enjoy the conversation now let's go back to the sleepers with dk so your point about playing guys that won't be here next year just to i i think michigan state is going to make the tournament i think you know obviously that could come into question you're optimistic but i it's they're gonna figure it out there's enough wins at the bottom of the big 10 that like the talent on this team and the staff that's made the tournament for how many years has it been what 15 years 20 years now like i just have a really hard time seeing them not figure it out but i think your point about are are we playing josh langford 30 minutes a game just to be a 10 seed in the tournament like that's a major missed opportunity for this program at this point. And I still don't get, I don't get the staff's love for Langford. Obviously it's a sad story. It's honestly sad to see Langford with the ability he has now, when you think back to the healthy kid that was a freshman sophomore that was playing so well for this program. Um, But I, you know, it's strange. I think I have a creative answer to what adjustments I'd like to see to the rotation. Um, I still, I come back to, the belief that the best core group on this team, if they're playing to their ceiling come March, maybe they're not playing at it right now, but that, that group has to include Watts, Brown, Henry, and I think Langford plus a big, whether that's Hauser and Hall. And the problem is it's impossible to play those four guys at once. At least we haven't seen it this year. So I think my a really creative answer to this could be what if we played super small ball and Henry played the four 
and Watts was the one. And we, you know, whether it's a true center at the five or Hauser and Hall, I'd like to potentially see that at some point. I do think whatever they found with Hogard, the benefit of it is that Henry, it looks so comfortable. I mean, like you said, he looks like a pro right now. And we need to keep that at bare minimum, no matter what happens. That needs to be from now through the end of the season. Um, but I think they got to trim the rotation. And I counted from the, the Purdue box score. There were 45 minutes that I would consider dead minutes. 11 went to lawyer. 34 went to the five centers that each played under 10 minutes a game. And I'm not saying all the centers are dead minutes, but I think if you pick one and that guy plays 20 minutes, it, you're going to get more out of that guy than splitting it up between five guys playing six to eight minutes. I just think at this point for the center rotation, if you're not sure what guy can give you what, then you start the game like they did. And they kind of got good minutes out of everybody, right? They, they like the first half, everybody gave some decent minutes in there. Then the second half, just pick two guys and stick with them or, or just come into a game saying, these are the two guys that I want to give the primary minutes to. If for some reason there's some deficiencies there, they're not having a good game. I'll, I'll make that decision at some point during it. But if you came in and just said like, okay, Bingham and Sissoko, we're going to get, you know, at least 15 minutes a piece. I'm going to throw in, you know, Kithier for 10. That's how we're going to run the rotation tonight. And then the next game, maybe Marble gets that opportunity. Like this is probably what should have happened at the beginning of the season. Now we're here in conference playing. We're having that discussion. And that was part of the issue I had, you know, he was so stubbornly touting, you know, lawyer and Kithier kind of in the off season, in the beginning part of the season, well, now you've come to the realization that neither of those guys can play the minutes that they did in the preseason. You kind of spent some of the early season with a limited off season and, and a, you know, a shortened uh, non-conference schedule playing guys that towards the middle and to the end of the year, you knew weren't going to be playable in spots in the big 10. And so we wasted some of the opportunity there to kind of develop the marbles, to develop some of the Sissoko and the Bingham minutes and I'm not saying that, you know, Bingham has perhaps deserved all of it, but he showed some flashes in the first half. Most of them were against Zach Eady. Um, but he's a guy that you need to get going. If you don't trust Sissoko because he's just still so green, then you need the paint protection, and Bingham is probably the guy that's going to give it to you. Marble clearly is the best offensive player there. I mean, he tried to jam that tip dunk down, and then he did finish that one kind of the wraparound pass in the middle. He's clearly the most physical and active guy offensively. So if you want to give a boost to that position, then maybe he needs to start getting a little more run. I just think at this point, we're like, you know, coming into the season here in a crucial stretch in a big 10 conference, and you have no idea what you're doing with the center position. And, and I think that that is in large part on the staff's um, refusal to play guys that needed to work through some of the kinks early in the season. And we're seeing a result of it now. Hashtag reduce the Clarkston minutes. Start the wave. <laughs> Clarkston minutes must be reduced. Yeah, Kithier's eight minutes, zero points, one rebound, four fouls in the Purdue game. Uh, lawyers, 11 minutes, zero points, one assist, one turnover. Yeah, it's, 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 it's time to make some decisions. Like, it's getting late. Like, just make the call, roll with your dogs. But we can't be playing this many people at this point in the season. It was, it, it, it's something that we're used, like you said, DK, some we're used to seeing out of Izzo in non-conference, maybe the first, first two or three games in big 10 play, but you know, now it's time to make the decisions and just roll with your dogs and who you think is going to be the best players in that position. 
feel like we're trying too many things right now. The issue with Lawyer having to play is Watts is saying he wants to come off the ball, though, right? Isn't that the situation that we're running Did into? Did Watts like, really Lord? say that? Okay, I got to I gotta go there. We, we had this conversation yeah. with Jess Carter and I last week. I don't think Watts ever said that. And you don't I think, think he said that he wants to come off the ball? No, oh, well, I don't think well, that. Well, I you think... gotta you gotta state this first, uh, DK. Everything that Izzo does, Greg thinks that he makes it up. So he's <laughs> just saying something. That's so not. It's, that's it's not never true. a situation where a player could actually say something. Izzo just likes making up stories. Let me let me give Tom Tom Izzo his flowers. He's a top five coach in the country. If I were picking a coach from scratch to coach X program, I'm picking Tom Izzo in the top wait, five. Wait without for the butt. Wait for the butt. Where without is it? Question. No, I'm just saying, like Michigan State fans attack me all the time for questioning decisions like I like down the stretch of the Purdue game. How are we not going to question that? I don't think he makes the best in season or in game adjustments. And I think he does a lot of things publicly, whether it's to protect his players, but really to benefit himself and his program. Like even thinking back to the Xavier Tillman stuff in the offseason. I mean, he he publicly tried to diminish Xavier Tillman's draft stock because he wanted him to come back to school probably because he knew what the center rotation would look like without Xavier Tillman right and Tillman I don't know if I agree with that I I mean he's I don't either he publicly (laughs) said he should come back to work on a shot like he said that that's a quote I mean there there might be other people that are saying that too like GMs or something I'm pretty sure he was quoted as what the feedback has been for Tillman. And there was some indication that maybe if he continued to work on his shot, I mean, I was of the opinion that Tillman could not increase his stock. Had he come back in my opinion, it made a hundred percent sense for him to go. I just, um, I think it's rare for a college coach to give the negative feedback of why his own player should return to school. I don't think you see that a ton, but I don't he, know if he, he said that, I mean, he, he basically tried to push Bridges out the door and Bridges wanted to come back. I do believe that. I mean, Bridges could have gone and he, he decided to want to come back. I think that there's something to be said for the college experience to some degree. Sure. I, I, I mean, I get, that might be the Michigan side of you saying that he keeps <laughs> guys too long and exactly. you know, there's it always be, been a little undertone be. of that rhetoric where it's frustrating for the Michigan fan base to see guys stick around for three to four years, even though they're projected as maybe they could have been one and dones or a couple of your guys. Well, no, I, so I was losing Jordan pools and stuff. And you're thinking to yourself like Jordan pools going pro, but for whatever reason, you know, we have to watch this guy for the fourth fucking year in a row, you know? Right. Well, no, I, so I respect it. I respect the hell out of it because that's how I would want my program to be run. Right. Like I hope Hunter Dickinson stays four years. He's probably going to go pro after one, but he'll be 27. But my point is like, I, yes, I am. I am prone to criticizing Tom Izzo and public statements he does from time to time. And when it comes to the whole Watts conversation, I have a really hard time truly believing that there was ever an honest conversation of rocket Watts saying, Hey coach, could I play only shooting guards so that I play less than 20 minutes a game and I take less shots than I had been? Like, well, he probably didn't say something like let me play. He's probably said, I want to play the two guard. And then the whole 20 minute thing kind of is that's on Izzo, which I just, I think, I think Izzo and the staff correctly identified that Watts has been horribly inefficient and made the move to move him off the bench and probably had some internal discussions to say, Hey, we're going to do everything we can to protect our player here so that, because if, if they didn't say something publicly, right. And Watts moved to the bench and played 15 minutes that game, he was going to get just destroyed. In by that you, by you personally, Greg. 
the game he started, right? So he started at the two guard spot uh, instead of Henry, which was, that was mind boggling. I mean, that. Well, yeah, that was, that was the first one. The Minnesota game snowballed out of control. Yeah. Um, but he did start it. I, I have a feeling that he probably has felt uncomfortable and that he wants to focus on getting himself right and, and scoring. So I do believe that he probably said, like, I would like to play off the ball more. I'm sure it's not like I want to come off the bench and play 15 minutes. I'm sure he didn't say that. But I I mean, I think that it was probably visible. I still think that, you know, like you guys have said, he needs to play more minutes. The best version of this team is with him there. But I don't think that you can force it on him. And I think that slowly but surely he's going to start gaining some of the confidence back a little bit. I mean, we played him down the stretch. I complained a little bit. Like, I thought Hogard probably would have been able to create that separation needed to get the ball in. He's really good at using his body to kind of ward off players to be able to do it. But I think that there was some insistence that the staff knows that Watts needs to be relied on, that he needs to be trusted, and that is why he was in that game in that spot. Um, plus the fact he's, he's a better free throw shooter. So I think that there was something to be said for that. But you saw Watts got inserted in it. It's almost, again, giving him a little bit more of the trust, saying we need you. Um, so I think the staff is not unaware that he has to be an integral part to it. Again, I think it just comes back down to it that there's a lot of pieces on this team that just unfortunately you know, make up a roster that has some flaws. And if you had a guy that you could play 25 minutes in the center spot and it could get you a bucket and play some defense, I think that there would be a lot less questions about, you know, rotational woes this season. Yep. No, I, I think that's a great answer. I totally agree with that. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, so next games, they got a tough stretch coming up. We talked about their struggle to contain post scorers. You saw that with Travion Williams. They've got Luca Garza, Trace Jackson Davis, and Kofi Coburn back to back to back coming up. So Brutal. we're going to learn a lot in short order here. Um, Iowa game this week on Thursday. I do want to do just like a quick Iowa game preview. If you want in-depth analysis of what Michigan state needs to do, I highly recommend head over to spartanhoops.com and get all of that good stuff this week. But what does MSU need to do to keep this one close? I was eight and at home this year. They've won all eight games by 10 or more points. They've beaten Purdue Northwestern, North Carolina at home. They've got the national player of the year. I mean, this is one of the hardest, if not the hardest game on the schedule for Michigan state this year. So what do they need to do? I, I don't disagree. There's a feeling for me that there is a chance to come in and win this game. I think that the way that the perimeter defense has been playing, that they can contain some of the shooting. We've seen it now in two uh, consecutive games where they really have locked down the perimeter scoring for both Rutgers and Purdue. Uh, Rutgers came into that game as the best three-point shooting team in the conference, um, and they really, really bottled them up. And I think we've seen Rutgers kind of take a little bit of a backslide. They've lost three in a row, just some tough games that they have, and they probably have to do a little regrouping. I think we're going to see stretches where some pretty good middle-of-the-road teams lose three or four in a row. It's just the way that the conference is shaken out this year. Um, but I think that if you can contain the perimeter and you can find the ability to at least make Garza somewhat inefficient that because of Iowa's poor transition defense, which it really is absolutely horrendous. Um, you know, I think that's how UNC was really able to get back into the game. They started putting pressure on the ball, like three quarters court. And they forced Iowa into tough spots. There's not a ton of ball handling on the roster. And what we saw is UNC get out and use their athleticism to get back into that game kind of in the second half. 
Michigan State is going to have a little bit better chance to have a better offensive flow because of the way that Iowa plays, but it starts with getting stops. So how do you slow down Garza? This is a great question, and I'll say this. If you start Hauser and Kithier to, to begin the game, I think it's just um, you're going to put yourself so far behind in this one. It's just it's, – it's, it's not possible, right? They've been starting Nunge, who's like a – you know, kind of like a 6'10". You know, he's more of a traditional type power forward. I'd almost say he's a backup center that they've been playing him alongside Garza kind of as a little bit more rim protection, rebounding, that kind of stuff. So you can probably get away with playing Hauser in starting lineup, even though, again, I, you know, there's some question for me on that. But you have got to put somebody on um, you know, Garza who can bottle him up a little bit. My suggestion would be maybe you start with Hall and a rim protector. You put the rim protector on Nuge, so say it's Bingham or Sissoko. You put him on Nuge so he's capable of sliding over and helping on Garza. And you have Malik Hall sitting in Garza's pocket. Like, I think Hall is, you know, he's not maybe quite strong enough all the way on that lower block, but I think that he's going to do a decent enough job of putting some body on him. And if you can make him turn or make him take three or four dribbles and allow Bingham then to slide over for the help side, you know, I think that there's certain ways that you can maybe bottle him up, particularly when that Nunge guy is on the floor because he's really not a, particularly offensive threat that it makes sense to maybe do that. And I'm curious to see where you guys think about it because they don't really have a great matchup for Garza, but I think that probably you got to go with one of your better defenders here and somebody who at least can play a little bit on the perimeter because Garza is a face-up guy that can kind of just turn and square up and shoot whether he's from three or not. Um, you know, I think Bingham is going to see some stretches directly on him, but I, I will be interesting to see if they put Hall on him in spots and then use a rim protector to kind of uh, put a second line of defense behind him if he's in the low block. What are you thinking, G? I was going to let you go first. So I, I think you laid out the the best course of action for Michigan State. I think it's it's a hard equation to put together because Luca has been so historically efficient this year. I mean, I think I saw an efficiency chart of all players in college basketball history, and there's no one in the same stratosphere as far as volume and efficiency goes. I think I've seen the formula in the past last year. I mean, Michigan took an approach where they said, we're going to let Luca Garza beat us. We're going to have him go one-on-one and we're not going to help off of any of these other shooters, the Wies camps, the, uh, CJ Fredericks, the McCaffrey's of the world, because Iowa does have shooting threats everywhere on the floor. And honestly, that, that approach seemed to work a little bit. So I think you could probably run something like that, but the most important part is just keeping Garza uncomfortable with pressure, whether that's hall, whether that's a different forward slash center, I don't know, but I like the formula of rim protector to the side that can help off of Nungi and then you know, I mean, Garza wants to step out and shoot, right? So you got to have someone that's comfortable to go out and guard and keep him off balance all the way out to the three-point line. It'll be interesting. I think at the end of the day, though, State has to keep up with the scoring pace in this game. I don't think whatever they do defensively is going to hold Iowa under 70-plus minimum. Um, And you nailed it. Iowa's transition defense is awful. So if they can get out and run, if they can match bucket for bucket, I'm, I'm really interested to see that. Hopefully this lights a fire on the Michigan State offense, but I don't know. This is, a, this is one that I would chalk up as a loss probably for the schedule, and then I think you need to bounce back and beat Indiana. 
Yeah, I mean, I, DK, I like your suggestion because I mean, we can't we can't do something like leave Hauser just to go one on one against Luca Garza. And, and if we start Hauser and Kithier for for this game, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, you're I mean, just I like you're they... just really asking for it. But uh, lucky for Luca Garza, he doesn't have to deal with Tillman Senior, not Tillman Junior. I'm talking two kid strength. Tillman Senior had Luca Garza in the Gulag last year. Let's not forget. But I mean, as long as Malik Hall is kind of just able to stay with them, getting them early. It's honestly unbelievable to watch Luka Garza just as a big man myself, like the way he seals and gets in the paint and just gets his big ass body and his heavy ass feet down in that paint and just like seals within two inches of the rim. It's unbelievable. And people know his footwork is incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, and you know, you got to try something like your suggestion. I mean, basically you got to try something It's if it's not your suggestion, you got to do something. If we do the same thing, you're going to get the same results. And then you can't be surprised when you get those same results. So there's got to be some adjustments made, or we might see something crazy from Luca Garza, like a 60 point game or something like, <laughs> like it's going to get bad. The other thing is I've never seen a good team that is like nationally praised. Like Iowa is be so bought into just feeding one guy. I mean, they had some non-conference games where, like, Wieskamp and Frederick, I think, took, like, four or five shots against no-name teams, but Garza had 30 shots from the floor and was going for, you know, 30 and a half. So, I, it's interesting. They know that's a great way to score, and they all seem bought in on it, but they give up a lot of points on the other end. Garza is a horrible defender. Like, as historically good offensively as he is, he's historically bad defensively, so – be interested to see like who's he match up with if they do go to the Hall Hauser lineup is Garza guarding Hauser because Hauser should be able to take advantage of that. Oh, Kithier get going on Garza. Oh. <laughs> Breakout Kithier game probably. <laughs> Psych. Um. All right. So we did. We asked for questions prior to this episode. I know we're coming up on an hour, but if we can get to these and knock them out, I think that'd be awesome. Um. We've got like seven or eight of these, so we can run through and we don't need to give any super long answers. But first one, Charlie Kish asks, if Michigan State goes 500 theoretically in Big Ten regular season, is there any possible way they make the tournament? I think they're for yes. sure in the tournament if they go 500. Yeah. I think so. I think that a team or two under 500 will get in from the Big Ten conference this year. I think if you the way that you're looking at the middle of the pack right now, there's going to be quite a few teams around 500 and a couple underneath. So I think that if you have a somewhat a quality couple wins in the non-conference like Michigan State does, if they end up falling like a game, maybe two underneath 500, I think you could probably still sneak in, particularly with the name brand recognition. I think that the, the committee would put them in. I think the number's eight and 12, even though that sounds horrible. I think yeah. if undefeated in the non-conference with the Duke win, say what you will about Duke, but that's going to hold weight. Eight and 12 should get you in. Um, is this season's issue more on in-game decisions or talent from Jay Taylor? Uh, <laughs> I think it's talent, bad talent yeah. leading to bad in-game decisions. They directly reflect each other. Yeah. Like the Purdue game for me was not a talent issue. It was a personnel decision issue, but for most part, I think it's been a talent construction issue for this season. I think there's a distinction between talent and roster construction. I think in terms of high-end talent, this Michigan State team is a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. If they fail to finish middle-of-the-pack, I think you can point to the fact that all of their high-end talent plays the same position. 
and they haven't found a way to utilize that, and there's still holes at point guard and center. I also have a theory that this question came from Greg's burner Twitter account. Yeah, <laughs> did not happen. Did not happen. Um, next on the list, starting to see problems with MSU trying to play 12 guys. Majority of minutes need to go to the 4-H, Hall, Hauser, Henry, Hogard, plus Watts. Second-tier minutes to Brown, Sissoko, Langford, minimal to Marble, Bingham, Kithier, Lawyer. This was from Vince. Do you agree? I think we hit on that earlier for the most part. Yeah, I think that that's fair, you know, how you want to kind of divvy it up one way or the other, but I think that that's probably your core. Like I said, I think I think the building block of foundation defensively is probably right now Hogard, Henry, and Hall. Um, you'll have to watch some more of the film on Hogard because he really does a nice job of staying in front of his man, closing out on shooters, when he gets a guy that's in the paint on him, um, he can body them up. I, I've really been surprised with that aspect of his game because I thought that that was going to keep him off the floor this year. And it's actually been one of the reasons why to keep him on. Um, I think that that's your three main core and you need to play those guys, you know, as many minutes as you can. Henry's got to play 35 minutes a game now. Like yep. I, there's, there should be no game going forward short of foul trouble where he doesn't play 35 minutes a night. I mean, he's that type of guy. He's that caliber of an athlete you can't keep him off the floor for more than five minutes a game. And he can do it too. It's not like he doesn't have the capability to do it. He can, he can go. He's good. Exactly. Henny. All right. Uh, right. Should Josh Langford be playing as many minutes as he has been Travis Harris? We've already uh, addressed that. Thumbs down to that one. Fuck no. (laughs) I think probably 20, you know, I think 20 minutes would be acceptable. Um, You know, playing 30 minutes a night. I just, it's too many minutes. Thank yep. you for your services, but it's time to cut those minutes. Uh, another minutes question from the great Z Hearth struggling to score six minutes for Gabe Brown. We all agree that needs to go up. Do you yeah. think Marcus Bingham can bench 135? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's so disrespectful. Who asked that? <laughs> Are we sure? Are we sure? Who asked that? That's for he, you know, he put some weight on the upper body to start the season. Uh, I mean, even if you don't put on weight, 135, like, come yeah. on. <laughs> like, you're a, you're a basketball player. Well, see it to believe. I mean, that's been the biggest impediment, right? That's why he's been kind of what he is. If he had really put the time in the offseason on his body, you know, I think that we would have seen a little bit more consistency out of him. He's got to. I mean, uh, I'm going to ask you this. I'm kind of curious what you guys think. But um, of the centers on this rotation, how many are on the team next year? Oh, I love that question. Car, you want to go first? Mm, so centers will go what out of Maddie, Kithier, uh, Marble Bingham? Yep. I think they're all on except for Kithier. I think Kithier. And, and Sissoko, who should be here, right? Yeah. I think well, he said I, Sissoko. Yep. We yeah, Sissoko. I said Sissoko. So I think everybody stays except for – actually, no, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think Kithier and Bingham leave. I think Bingham gets frustrated leaves so what, do, what about you i mean maddie's back maddie should yep. be the starter i i i would say kithier is gone but he's gonna be a senior right he's there's not, no he's, way he's gone you he's guys are leaving. you guys are hoping he's gone yeah. there's no way he's gone he's not leaving before his senior year i would like the temptation i have nothing against kithier and i think that you know he's given some good role minutes this year but the temptation for Izzo to play him more minutes than probably he needs to next year is the real issue, right? He's a, he's going to be a senior. He's yeah. going to have, are we going to see the same exact thing that we did to start this season where he gives him 15 to 20 minutes a night for the whole non-conference and again, holds back some of the development. Like 
Yeah. That's not out of the question. I think one to two, I think one to two bigs transfer this year. You know, I don't think think anybody going into their senior year will transfer. So that rules out Kithier and Bingham for me. Little grad transfer action. I just, I don't see that. I think, I think Marble's the candidate and, but it's so rare within Michigan state's program to see transfers at all. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it's zero. I think it, cause is it Bokeh? Is that how you say it? Enoch Bokeh? Wache. Is yeah. he, he still needs to reclassify technically to be here. Next I year. think that he can, he has enough credits. It's a matter of whether he does it or not. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I think one to two to guys is gone. I really did. We'll have to see how the rotational minutes shake out this season for Bingham and marble. But I think those are the two guys that you're looking at and say, um, you, I think I would have a hard time disagreeing if, if they can't start one of the two of them, start earning some more minutes you know, why are you going to continue to hang around when you're seeing that Sissoko is going to continue to earn minutes, that Kithier has, you know, garnered some loyalty and trust with the staff and is going to continue to see him. And if Wache ends up reclassifying, which is, you know, possible, who knows what happens with that, then one of them would have to leave for the numbers to be able to work anyways, I think. So, yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I just think that if you go into next season, you have the exact same and you haven't been able to figure out the center rotation, like you're running into an issue again. Like I think maybe one to two goes. And if that happens and Boache doesn't reclassify, I think that you probably need to go on the transfer market and find another big to put into the program. Yeah. If, it, if any coaches are listening, we got a nice little two for one Clarkson deal special. You get a Kithier and a lawyer. I think if, if Boche comes in, I could see Marble going. I will throw this out there. I don't think you guys are going to like this. I don't like this. If there's a junior this season, incoming senior that transfers, my bet would be on Gabe Brown. Mr. Six Minutes a Game, who Gabe has talked about NBA dreams, and he ain't yeah. going to get there playing six minutes a game in the conference. Uh, I'm, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think a game to me kind of seems like a program guy, to be honest with you. And I know that he can be frustrated with some of, you know, the role, whatever the usage, but um, to me, he's just a grinder. He's a gym rat. He's a guy that's, you know, going to figure it out eventually. So um, plus if you look at it, he's, you know, Henry leaves, he's probably starting next year. He's, he's probably got to be getting the start right with Langford and Henry gone. You probably are starting, I, I guess it would be Watts and, you know, Brown. That's probably it. But there's so much talent coming in next year. We Start we, Watts and Brown over Christie? Um, <laughs> it's I, a whole I other podcast. Yeah, I don't think Christie is of the type that he would be, you know, making a big deal if he had to come off the bench. To me, he's like he's, – he's the perfect five-star. He's an OKG five-star, right? You got a game that's just well-spoken, mature beyond his years – has the talent and is willing to be a team player. So I I don't think that there's really any issues. You know, a lot of times you're getting five stars and you see some of the disgruntlement, like even at UK, right? The Cameron Fletcher, who Michigan State was recruiting and and he's been some discontent. And then Cal comes out and flogs him on Twitter, which was, that was crazy. Wild. Um, But I I think that what you got in uh, Max Christie is a guy who really gets it. You know, I think he gets the bigger picture and I think that he's going to be perfect program but I, I i'm so excited about the class coming in whether we get reclassifications or not i think the class coming in next year is maybe my favorite trio of guards that we've ever had on the roster in one one single class i think it's going to be loaded 100 percent. yeah let me just say this to msu twitter right now i've seen i think i've seen more people telling people to shut up about 
quote unquote, is Izzo on the hot seat than anybody actually saying he should be on the hot seat. But if there's anyone out there claiming Tom Izzo should be on the hot seat, you need to reevaluate your life choices right now. Aim on you. This is a six month problem. And next fall, things are going to be smooth sailing when that recruiting class hits campus. And I am very excited to see what it looks like. Uh, we have one more question from the Twitter world that I know you're going to like, DK. Why is Maddie sitting like JJJ in 2017 from Jared? Uh, I'm not sure if that's a great comparison between the two. Um, obviously, Jaron, you know, offensively was a lot further along than what Maddie is. I think what you're seeing with Maddie and what we've really seen with the center rotation in general is that there's not a whole lot of half-court offensive roles that have been delineated for that group. And I think what we've seen with Sissoko is his ability to rebound and block shots is an integral part to where this team's ceiling is. Um, but he's got to continue to grow on the offensive side. So, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a night is ideally what I'd like to see out of him, just depending on some of the matchups going forward. Um, but I think comparing Jaron Jackson and him is just, it's way too far off. Um, you know, Maddie is always going to be a guy that's probably better defensively than he is offensively. Um, but he is a guy that I think that they need to start trying to get some lob opportunities to, you know, the few times that he's actually caught the ball on the low block or in the paint. He's done a pretty decent job of scoring. I wouldn't mind them seeing him worked a little bit more into the offense. I just don't think the trust is quite there yet. Rate these three players right now, Jaron, Maddie, and Ben Carter in order. (laughs) I'm I'm asking that question. Like why? (laughs) Maddie, Ben Carter. (laughs) Thank you. Just wondering. All right. So if Carter gets to ask his question, I have two for you and then we can wrap this. All right. Who wins the conference? Oh, God. You're going to make me make me say it. Uh, I think that Michigan's scheduling, Don't you know, do and it. we Don't can talk it, about how good that they've been. They have been really good. They have. It's okay. It's okay to say, Carter, I can see you shaking your head. It's okay. Tell him. Really Please good this tell year. him. They've been really good this year. This matchup against Wisconsin is probably going to tip it in my mind. Um, they have single plays against most of the top teams in the conference this year. Several of them are at home. Um, the schedule allowed them to cohesively come together and form uh, a unit that's really good on both sides of the ball. Um, I, I, I'm not willing to say that they're going to win the conference, but they're going to be in the hunt for it. Um, I know Carter. I, still, Carter, I just don't Carter, see Carter, Iowa. Carter I don't see up. Iowa doing it. So for me, the top four teams, you know, obviously right now are Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Iowa, and Michigan. I, I just don't believe that Iowa is going to be able to, you know, we saw them dump that game at Minnesota, like on the road. They don't play enough defense in a conference that really defends. Like, I don't think that they're going to win enough games. So I'd probably have them out of it. Um, and then you'd have to kind of take a peek at the schedules. Michigan's going to be in that mix. I think they do play Wisconsin twice, but I want to say they play Illinois and Iowa only once. That's correct. Um, I will say with, of the top four teams, Wisconsin has six games, double plays against Michigan, Iowa, and Illinois still remaining. Iowa, Illinois, Michigan only have four games among that group. So, I mean, that's a pretty good indication. And obviously we've seen Wisconsin get into some close games lately. It doesn't really bother me that that's happened. That's kind of their style of play, right? They're never going to come out and blow a team's doors off offensively. So they're always going to allow a team to keep it in it. Um, But they're a team that really knows how to grind and they're old. 
Um, I'm fascinated to watch that game, Wisconsin and Michigan. If for some reason they blow them out by double digits, then, um, you know, we're going to be in for a long season as Michigan. We're going to reschedule another pod next week. I was going to say, though, <laughs> Wisconsin did blow Michigan State's doors off offensively. But uh, basically to translate what DK said in my terms is uh, if Michigan wins the conference, it's only because of easy scheduling. I'll, I'll <laughs> fine, fine. wrap it like that. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to say that. I wouldn't say that. I think they probably have earned it, obviously, in this conference this year. But um, I, Illinois is an interesting, you know, team for me, too. I think that, you know, you saw the second half that they put together against Northwestern. They have some big warts. Like, the Illinois-Michigan matchup, I think, is going to be fascinating because Michigan has so many wings and Illinois doesn't have any. They're playing, like, a four-guard rotation around a big man. And they got like six five IO, and the rest of the guys are six three in the lineup. Like yep. Michigan is going to probably eat them up with some of the wing play that they have. Um, and their best lineup is either four guards and one big, or it's three guards and two centers. Right? Georgie's the center; he's not a power forward. Yeah. So there's some flaws on the roster, but can they overcome it? Do I think that maybe they have the most talent? Um, you know, between two people, between Iowa and Coburn, like Michigan probably doesn't have a one-two punch that's the same, but they have seven guys that all fit really well together. And six of those guys you probably pretty comfortably could say can score anywhere between 10 to 16 a night, right? And yeah. Dickinson's emergence has really, you know, it, I thought he was going to be like an eight and eight, a 10 and eight type guy. I thought he was going to have a good season. And I was higher on him than probably most of the Michigan people. I had Michigan, you know, preseason rated number five. Most of the ma- mainstream media had him somewhere between seventh and eighth. Yep. So I think I was a little ahead of the curve on that. I didn't see Dickinson having this type of impact. Um, obviously, he's just been – I mean, he's been the story for Michigan. He's settled everything. I think they still would be a pretty good team if he wasn't quite what he has been. Um, but his emergence and his ability to completely control the paint offensively um, – I mean, he manhandled Liam Robbins for most of that game. And that was probably one of the tests. I'm like, okay, you know, like two seven footers. I think he's a little bit more mobile than Robbins, but if he really gets the best of him and he dominated him. So yeah, um, I don't think there's really a guy in the league that he's going to be scared of, to be honest with you. And because of so many offensive weapons around it, because they're starting to defend on that side of the ball, um, it, it's, it's possible. I mean, it's, it's possible they can come away with the conference title this year. Mm-hmm. I love that. Cart, you should take notes on how to uh, objectively praise the Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> I respect that, but no, thank you. It doesn't make me feel good to say it, right? Especially in a down year for Michigan State. I mean, I think that as Michigan State fans, probably the worst part of struggling this season is seeing Michigan play so well too, right? Like if they were along the middle of the pack with us and they were struggling in in spots too and we were in it together, you know, I think we probably would have a little bit less discontent. But what we're seeing is – you know, Michigan really coming on and putting it together and us kind of, you know, on the struggle bus. And so, you know, feelings are going to be a little bit uh, stronger in this season, you know, catching a bunch of flack from Michigan Twitter. So yeah. in the year, in the year that me and Greg start doing this podcast, I got to deal with this. It this makes year. for entertaining podcasts. Yeah, okay, I'd say so, so. I'm going to go on record though. I actually, I love that you guys, well, not you guys, DK was just able to give objective <laughs> praise of Michigan. Um, Illinois is my pick to win the conference. I think Michigan finishes somewhere between two and four. I think their ceiling could be higher potentially in March. They do have a really easy schedule, but I'm a little concerned they're peaking too early. That happened last year. Obviously Isaiah livers got hurt last year and that instigated their downswing, but um, 
you know, we'll see. Like you guys said, they have to play some of the bigger teams. The Wisconsin game is going to be a pendulum swinging game. I think Illinois just their talent to me stands out. I think especially come March, Io DeSumo is going to be potentially the baddest guy in the country that you don't want to see from a backcourt perspective. So I'm uh, I'm on Illinois bandwagon as them as the Big Ten winner. Give me a name. I want both of you to give me a name. Who wins the Big Ten? I I'm I'm with you. I'm going Illinois. Hi. Oh. <laughs> Anybody but Michigan. <laughs> Anybody but Michigan. Uh, I mean, my heart my heart would say probably I still trust Illinois the most to get it done. I'd have to really look at the schedule. I know that's a waffling answer, but they're similar. Um, Iowa, Illinois, Michigan schedules are pretty similar from now on till the end of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. God. Uh, I'm going to say Illinois. I, I I do think Michigan has a pretty good shot to win it, though. Okay. We're a pro-Illinois podcast, and I want to end on this. Where does Michigan and Michigan State's season end in March? I'll go to – let's go to Carter first, then to me, then we'll end with DK. I think that I don't. <laughs> I didn't tell you I was going to put this on you. But you didn't. Can, on you. can we go to DK first? No. What? Why do I got to go first? I'm going to you first, Carter. Uh, fuck it. I'm not dropping the agenda. Michigan's out first week, and Michigan State's probably going to lose first or second weekend, too. First or second weekend? Mm-hmm. What seed is Michigan State to you then? Like a couple upsets to get to the second weekend, right? Or what, at least one. Yeah. They're a 10 or higher. Yeah, I think – yeah. I don't know. I don't want I don't <laughs> want to answer, to be honest. Okay, fine. I'll go – I think Michigan's a sweet 16 team. They'll get a top four seed, and I think they will lose in the round of 16. I think Michigan State comfortably makes the tournament as an – nine or 10 seed and is out in the round of 32. Um, I don't want to say it, but though I watch quite a bit of basketball around the country, um, this is a down year. I would say generally for top teams, I, I feel kind of like coming into most seasons. There's maybe somewhere to between six to eight teams. That I think they can cut down the nets by the time we get to March and have kind of digested it all. Uh, Michigan State was one of those last year, which is probably why we're so sad about this year, because I really think that that was a good opportunity for him to be able to possibly make another run, go to back-to-back Final Fours, and maybe even cut down the nets. Um, I think Michigan is an Elite 18. Uh, I think that they probably can earn – I mean, right now I think on the seed lines they're number two. I think that they'll be somewhere either three or four, possibly. Um, Michigan State. Oh my God, man. I mean, we're gonna know a lot more after this three-game stretch, right? If you ask me this after, if, if we somehow went two and one on the stretch, I would feel much more confident. But if they go zero and three, one and two, I mean, I I think that they're still very much on the bubble with that loss to Purdue. The the one cardinal sin that you cannot do in the conference this year is lose to a team that's kind of hovering around that 500 mark with you. And we're seeing now, you know, the Northwestern loss probably doesn't look quite as good as it did at the beginning of the season. 
Um, that Purdue loss is they're, they're going to be a team that struggles. You cannot lose to Indiana because they're in the same boat. Like you got to beat in the middle of the road teams and then try to beat maybe one or two of the teams that are in the top and you only get a few opportunities to do so. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that they're probably a 10 or 11 seed and I'd, I would be pretty surprised if they got out of the first weekend. I really would. I mean, a lot would have to go right for them to be able to put it together and it's so hard to know without seeing the matchups and seeing like how it would possibly shake out. But um, I agree with you. I think they probably win one close one and then drop the second. Siri, how many 10 seeds have won the NCAA tournament? <laughs> I think that answer is going to be zero or less than one or two would be my hey, guess. There, hey, there's uh, a, hey, is on March. Even in this year, don't sleep. We got to get to March before we can go to that this year. But hey, they got to go six and eight the rest of the way in my book. I think they can get that done. Uh, DK, thank you so much for being here. Give us the quick Spartan Hoops plug for anybody listening to this. Yeah, man. I, I appreciate you guys letting me on. Um, you can follow me at Spartan Hoops underscore DK. The website is www.spartanhoops.com. Right now it is $4 a month, or if you want to get the year, it's $40 a year. It's a two-week free trial for the monthly subscription. Uh, basically, we're doing game previews. I'm breaking down film of the opposing teams. Um, we're doing some deep dives in the film review. I've discussed some of the rotational stuff, trying to get out some Big Ten kind of bigger picture stuff every once in a while when the schedule allows it. It's obviously been pretty busy recently. Uh, but all around, you know, kind of the one-stop shop if you're curious about Michigan State basketball. And I think in this season more than ever, uh, if you need to cling to some positivity, I've been trying to bring some nuggets of it, uh, at least after every film review. And I will do that for the Purdue game, even though it was a devastating loss that ruined many people's weekends. And follow this man on Twitter, folks. We'll have his at in the bio as you watch this episode, if you're watching on our YouTube channel. But he is uh, a very insightful, entertaining Twitter follow. I've learned a ton from my short span just in the past year since he launched SpartanHoops.com through the website and through his personal Twitter. Uh, you can follow us, Sleepers Media, at Sleepers Media on Twitter, the Sleepers Media YouTube channel for all of our podcast episodes. Carter, you want to end on something for us, please? Try to keep your heads up, guys. We're going to be okay. We're in this together. I'm with you. We're here. Okay. It's all right. It's going to be okay. Hopefully. We can do it. All right. Thanks so much, DK. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.